Hey everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. I'm uh, I'm Scott. If you haven't seen this uh, podcast or show already, I've been trying to do more of a live stream of my podcast. It just haven't seemed to work. Um, I think I got all the bugs fixed, so we're going to try and see how well this works. Um, but anyway, I'm going to do something a little special today. Um, what I am doing is I am going to be uh, doing four movie reviews. Um, as some of you may or may not know, that in the month of March, it seemed like every single weekend there was a new spiritual-themed movie that came out in the theaters. So... I took my church group out to go uh, see these movies, and um, so these are just kind of my thoughts, my reviews of each of these movies, so hopefully you guys are enjoying them, um, and I can let you know, hey, you should see this, or maybe you shouldn't see this, especially since it was throughout the whole month of March. Uh, some of these movies may not be in theaters anymore, um, but at least you guys have at least a good review, and especially, like I said earlier, I was trying to get the bugs worked out to be able to do a live video, so hopefully this would help. Um, so let's begin with the first movie I saw. The first movie I saw was A Wrinkle in Time. Now you may think, oh, uh, Wrinkle in Time, that's not, that's not a Christian movie. Um, well, I, I would disagree with you in at least the beginning uh, when the film was being promoted uh, because the author of the book, uh, Madeline Lingle, is a Christian and she actually uh, wrote Wrinkle in Time and... Um, she actually wrote a couple of other books too. Like there's a couple of books that I use for seminary on spiritual development and spiritual um, and spiritual growth uh, that I use for seminary. And she's the same lady who wrote A Wrinkle in Time. And even when you look at uh, the Wrinkle in Time book, um, there's also a lot of spiritual themes. Like there's a couple of times where scripture is quoted in the book and actually scripture is even used to kind of um, battle the darkness because what we kind of see in the book is that there's this battle between lights and darkness and then there's, there's these warriors of light which a lot of these warriors of light are like Leonardo da Vinci and Jesus Christ is a warrior of light. So a lot of these times you really see like, oh, this could be a really good film that Disney's producing, especially if they stay to the source material. Because again, like when you look at movies like Lord of the Rings, it's not very Christian-y, but it does have a lot of spiritual themes. The same thing with... Um, Chronicles of Narnia. So here we kind of see Madeline Lingle uh, doing the same thing that J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis did by making a book that is kind of throwing spiritual undertones in the book. And when I so when I went to see this movie, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be great. And Believe me, there's a lot of great quotes uh, from this movie. I actually wrote one down in the theater because I thought it was really good. Um, it says, Fear leads to rage, rage leads to violence, and violence leads to a tipping point 
where the it consumes everything. We need warriors of light to fight the darkness and to provide hope. And I mean, that line right there, it's like, oh yeah, that's great because, you know, we have the light inside of us, the light of Christ. So it is our responsibility as Christians to be able to uh, share that light in a darkened world to provide hope to people. So that, I'm like, oh yeah, boom. And that was pretty much the only thing that really connected with me on this movie. Um, but, you know, it's been a long time since I've read the book, but watching this movie, it was not that great. Um, it, they had some kind of cool special effects. Um, the story is a great story of self-empowerment. It's a, especially a good story of, you know, being yourself and being true to yourself and, and trying to find one's hidden potential inside oneself to be able to be the type of person that they are destined to become, um, which is great. But at the same time, anything that had to do with any spirituality had been ripped out of this movie. And especially there's this part where uh, there's this part where they're discussing the warriors of light and they're adding new warriors of light, which you know it's fine. it's it, you're in a modern you're in a modern setting, so yeah, it's okay. Um, but they also eliminated Jesus being a warrior of light. Um, even, even like some of the quotes that they would say in there, they would use modern day quotes, which I'm like, okay, but like apparently Chris Tucker must be a warrior of light because he was quoted um, from like the movie Rush Hour. And you look at this thing and you go, what am I watching? And it was just a very weird movie. It was a very odd movie. And it just basically seemed like it was a movie of self-empowerment. But the substance and basically the underlining themes that Madeline Lingle put in her book to kind of give substance to the story, it was like all the substance got removed and stripped from the movie, which is why I believe the movie kind of fell flat and it wasn't that, and it wasn't really that great of a movie. Um, it wasn't very memorable. It's not one of those movies where it's like, oh, I really want to see this movie again. It, it just wasn't that great. Um, so my review for Wrinkle in Time, I guess if we, I, I, I usually don't do, <laughs> I don't usually don't do reviews. I usually just kind of talk about the spiritual themes of movies. Uh, but for Wrinkle in Time, I guess if I had to give it five, if there's five stars on my scale from one star to five stars. It probably gets one star. I mean, it was entertaining enough. Maybe I'd give it half a star, but it, it gets one star. It wasn't that great. Um, so that was my review of A Wrinkle in Time. Um, my next review, next movie I saw was the movie I Can Only Imagine. And this is a movie that's based off the... Um, one of the most popular uh, Christian songs in the world. It's actually one of the most played songs, not only... In, in Christian radio, but even in other radio stations, they were playing it because it was just so popular. And if you've never heard of the song, I Can Only Imagine, um, you know, you could probably look for it. You could probably just go on YouTube, just type in I Can Only Imagine song, and you'd be able to hear it. Um, 
I know usually when I'm at funerals, sometimes that's just kind of like playing in the background, just like the instrumental part of it. Um, but one of the interesting things about this movie is usually when you look at Christian film companies, they don't really put out the same caliber quality of film as like a major motion picture film. And a lot of times, especially recently within the last 10 years, we've really seen kind of this resurgence of popular um, faith-based films that are being backed by major motion picture companies, which is very exciting because there is a market for that. And a lot of people see it. Like when I went to go see... um, you know, when I can, when I went to go see Only Imagine, I saw it like on a Tuesday night, so there wasn't that many people there. Uh, but when I went to go see Paul, Apostle of Christ, not only was our theater packed, but even the I Can Only Imagine, which was in its second week, uh, was still packed at the theater I was going to. So there is a market for faith-based films. But a lot of times... The, the problem that faith-based films get into is it's like a walking cliche sometimes. Sometimes everything's just kind of like, eh, I don't know. This is kind of very cheesy. Or, or sometimes they put these jokes in that are not really good. Or sometimes they could get to the point of intensity or even anything that may make it intense or interesting or very real. They kind of soften the tone because, again, this is fun family films and Christian films, so you don't want to offend somebody. So, you know, if anybody's going to say, so you're probably not going to hear any swearing in there. You're really not going to see any type of um, sex or even talk about sex. And really violence, you're not going to see a lot of violence unless it's like Jesus being crucified. Then you'll see all the violence in the world, Um, you know, talking about Passion of the Christ here. But what makes... I can only imagine interesting is it doesn't come off as a stereotypical Christian film. Um, I think kind of the draw to it is that there's a lot of mystery behind the story. Because when you hear the story, when you hear the song, you're like, oh, this is a great song about being in heaven and what it's like being in heaven. But then when you find out, well, here's how the song came to be, and here's kind of the backstory, which is basically the singer, uh, Bart, in the relationship with his father, who is a very abusive, mean monster, you, you don't, you really wouldn't connect the two, but the story was enough of interest of, wow, here's his relationship with his father, here's him trying to start this band and get a record contract, but they did Rucker Company's not interesting because he doesn't really have a song that really kind of appeals to a modern audience or to the Christian or to the to the contemporary Christian audience. And you see this journey and not only that, but how his relationship with his father and how that kind of shaped him to kind of be this person who's just very angry and even alienated, you know, the his girlfriend and and everything else and it's it was very interesting because there was a lot of depth and there was a lot of layers to the story and yeah sometimes there's a couple of moments where i'm like eh, you really didn't need to throw in this joke it kind of distracted from the story um and sometimes people do that especially when you're telling such a good intense story where there's a lot of friction you need some type of humor or something to kind of you know ease the audience so you don't under or over distance the audience um but it was really good like i really enjoyed this film i thought the acting was 
was a, was a lot better than most Christian films. I thought the story was absolutely fantastic. And overall, it was just a good film. So if I was giving it a rating, I would give it four, four out of five stars. It was, it was good. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. And, um, and really just the theme of it is, you know, it really focuses on how, you know, even how powerful the gospel can be and how it can change even one of the most worst people that you may know, how the gospel can change them, um, as Bart said, you know, my dad was a monster, but I've seen how the gospel uh, changed his dad from being a monster to being his best friend. Um, so that's kind of cool, and that's very interesting, and I like that story, and it was good. So four out of five stars for I can only imagine. Um, so the next story... Um, So the next story I want to talk about is Paul, Apostle of Christ. I'm typing up these reviews so that way people who are, basically anybody who's doing this Facebook Live, they can kind of see what my decision is if they come back late. All right. So again, one out of five for Wrinkle in Time. Four out of five for I Can Only Imagine. So now we get to Paul, Apostle of Christ. Um, Paul, Apostle of Christ was... I think it's a misleading title to the movie. Because you, you barely see Paul at all in this film. Really, the most screen time is actually on Jim Caviezel, who plays Luke um, in, this, um, in this movie. So they probably should have called it Luke, Apostle of Christ. Um, but kind of the theme of the movie is that Paul's in prison. This is now takes place sometime after Nero had burned down Rome and he's blaming it on the Christians. So now Christians are in hiding because they're being persecuted. Um, you see Christians being tied to poles, um, getting oil and gas thrown on them and being lit on fire, fire as human torches, um, or Roman torches is what they call them. So what you see is you see Luke has traveled to Rome in these dark days and um, he's basically trying to find Paul so that Paul can kind of give some inspiration of hope uh, to the Christians because right now there's a lot of Christians in Rome and over the world who are living in a state of hopelessness because of Nero being in power. So your main story, and really there's a couple of arcs in here. There's a lot of different stories. You have your main story, which is Luke meeting with Paul and trying to see if Paul's okay and try to get some wisdom from Paul to be able to communicate to the Christians around the world. You also see the Christian community in Rome as they are trying to decide if they're going to stay in Rome, even though they're being persecuted and hunted, or if they're going to try to flee in some of the conflict within that community as some want to stay, some want to leave, and there's all even some that want to fight against the Roman, the Romans. So you kind of have this interesting dynamic. And then you have this dynamic of the prison guard who is in charge of the prison that Paul is staying in. And you know, him being a good Roman and being obedient to Nero, even though he thinks that Nero is a lunatic. 
But you also see that his daughter is very sick and is dying. And he's trying to, and he keeps going, and he keeps praying to the gods. He keeps um, getting different doctors to come in to see if they could help his daughter. And so there's this interesting story. And then even the friction between him and his wife because, you know, he's always out the war in the past and all these other things. So now he is at this point where he needs to really save his daughter. So you have these interesting stories, and they all end up kind of merging right at the end, which is very good writing to have kind of three different vignettes, and then they all kind of come to the climax, which is really great. Um, the only problem I have with Paul, the downside of this film, is that it, it moves very slowly. And it's one of those things where it's building and building and building. And I felt like it just kept building and building and building. And then finally when things started to kind of get interesting, it was like 30 minutes and then the movie was over. So there's a lot of time it just moved and the pacing was very slow. And that was like the one downfall I did not like about this movie. It was just so slow. But other than that, uh, the movie hit on some really good themes about uh, faith it really focused on healing, um, and it was very interesting because a lot of times when we see movies, or usually the Jesus movies, there's always this time of prayer bringing supernatural healing. Uh, but in this case, we saw how prayer brought to not only a change of heart, uh, but it also led into motions for healing to begin because certain players with certain skills were able to help certain things. I don't want to try to, I'm being very vague because I don't want to ruin the movie if you haven't seen it. Um, but the other interesting thing is just you really get to see Paul and his struggle with his former self. You see a lot of flashbacks uh, to him when he was killing Christians and and there's and he has he's having he's having these dreams where all the people that he killed from Stephen to to all these other people how he's having these flashbacks and he's seeing these people that he had persecuted and killed how they're all like walking towards him which is giving him a nightmare so you kind of see this this interesting element especially at the end um when Paul's executed you kind of see that you kind of see him in in this place now and he's seeing these people come towards him again and you and it's it's one of those things where it's one of those very powerful scenes where you really see how when we are Christians, when we kind of convert from our old selves to our new selves, that there is a new life. And from there comes forgiveness and there comes hope and there comes salvation. And you kind of and a lot of those themes kind of come towards the end of that movie and that scene. So um, overall, it was a very enjoyable movie. Again, it was very slow and sometimes uh, it, it felt like the movie was a lot longer than what it was because of the pacing. Um, so again, out of five stars, I would give... Uh, Paul, the Apostle of Christ, um, Apostle of Christ, three out of five stars. So then we get to the final movie. And the final movie is God's Not Dead, A Light in Darkness. Um, usually this is the third installment of the God's Not Dead series. Um, darkness. Sorry, I'm still typing. Um, I don't. I should have like someone help me type all these things, so I don't have to worry about about doing all this stuff myself. Um, 
Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am not a big fan of the God's Not Dead series um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, a lot of the themes in God's Not Dead are very Christian cliches. Um, you know, when I saw the first God's Not Dead, it just seemed like it was a big walking, talking cliche. And I didn't really enjoy that film. Um, it just seemed like, you know, people tell stories in church or they do like these nice sermon illustrations. And, but there's like no pr truth to them. They're just like great little stories. And someone goes, hey, I'm going to take that concept and make this big movie and kind of set it in real days and that this is really happening. And I didn't really like the first one. I thought it was, the acting was like, eh. The story was eh, and then I was just tired of hearing the song God's Not Dead every time when the Newsboys got on. And especially I remember when that movie came out because then my phone and my Facebook was blowing up with people texting me. And they're not texting me, they're texting everybody because there's this part in the movie where it says, pull out your phones, text everybody you know, and just send them a text that says, God's not dead. So here's my phone, bloop, 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 God's not dead, God's not dead, God's, God's not dead. And it's like, okay, I guess someone saw that movie. And it basically, it was just to the point where I'm like, I'm tired of my phone blowing up saying God's not dead. Um, so... Um, but God's Not Dead 2, I actually enjoyed that movie. I thought that it was well acted. They had a lot of great actors in that movie. It, it, you could tell that because of the success of the first one, because a lot of Christians were going to see this movie and they really enjoyed it, um, they had a bigger budget to see God's Not Dead 2. And I really enjoyed God's Not Dead 2 just because they had a lot of good actors in it. Um, in the first one, they had a lot of different stories, and it was very confusing to figure out what was going on. They kept it very simple, even though there was a lot of different stories. It all kind of wrapped up together at the end. Um, so I really liked God's Not Dead 2. I thought that was probably, and I think, in, in, in my opinion, it was the better out of the three of them. Uh, God's Not Dead 2 is. So then we get to God's Not Dead, A Light in Darkness. Now, what, let's talk about what I liked about this movie. What I liked about this movie is that they didn't have a lot of different vignettes or stories. They just kept it to the one story, and it was just everything was building off this one, um, this one story arc. So there wasn't a lot of bunch of different story arcs. Everything was one, which I thought was fantastic. Um, the other thing I liked is it really showed that Christians are not necessarily these perfect individuals. Um, because um, David A.R. White, who plays the pastor throughout the whole series, you know, there are some moments where he's just not really kind. He's not really he's not really good. Um, and by good, I mean like stereotypically like Christian good. Like he's, I mean like he punches a guy, um, he gets angry, he gets upset, he ends up kind of, his brother who's an attorney who's played by John Corbett um, is actually trying to help his brother and he's kind of very uh, negative towards him. And, and, and it's one of those things where you look at this movie and you go, 
I can identify with that, you know? You know, I couldn't identify with anybody else because they just seemed like they were just like that. I know people hate this term, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like that cookie-cutter Christian. And here I'm seeing some rough edges. I'm seeing some 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 kind of some dark tones in his in this character and and I'm really identifying with it which is really great because if you can't identify with your characters um, then you're not going to be able to follow the movie um, and of course John Corbett uh, Corbett's in it and he's excellent it was very good um, there are some so really with David A R White and John like those two alone really did a great job with the movie as far as kind of carrying it acting-wise. And then also there was a lot of great themes of unity, especially since you kind of see this division between um, people who want to keep St. John's Church there on this college campus and those who say, let's 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 bulldoze it, let's build a, or convert it to a student center. So you kind of see this clash and it's like, well, we don't need religion on our campus. And people go, no, God's not dead. We do. And you kind of see this division. And you kind of see, especially when we start getting towards the climax, we kind of see the, the student dean or the president of the university, I'm sorry, um, and the pastor kind of getting everybody to be unified and to talk about things and to get people to be unified instead of so separate, which is very timely in our world today as it seems like if it does if it's religion or politics or even the type of car you want to buy, there just seems to be a lot of talking and not a lot of listening, which was kind of a, a good which was kind of a good theme uh, in this film. So for me I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm digging this. Then we get to the things I don't like about the film. Right off the bat, very first five seconds of the movie, I'm already annoyed with this movie. Because if for those of you who've seen the second one, there's this weird story arc in the second one where... Um, the government made some type of decree that pastors had to submit their their sermon transcripts um, to city officials just to kind of make sure that they're not saying anything that's um, that could be controversial or anything that could be against the United States or any type of I mean, I mean, really, I'm saying this because it's been a while since I've seen it, but it was one of those story arcs that, you know, for me, just didn't really, wasn't really strong since you had a lot of big stuff with this court case with uh, Melissa Joan Hart and her quoting scripture in school and then her getting fired and now there's being this big lawsuit. Like, that was kind of sucked up a lot of the attention of the movie. So this little story arc here on the side didn't really make sense to me. So I'm not really familiar, but at the opening of the third movie, you see that, or at, sorry, excuse me, let me go back. At the second part of the movie, towards the end, basically A.R. White, the pastor, decides he's not going to submit his transcripts because he feels that, you know, it's his right to preach whatever he wants to preach and the government shouldn't have any say on what he can or can't preach. So he's not going to submit his things. Okay. 
And then, of course, that's how the movie ends. We don't see any repercussions. But you kind of see that scene where, okay, this is going to kind of be the big part of... If they do a third movie, that's going to be the main story arc of the third movie. No, it's not. Because at the beginning, you see, okay, he goes to jail because he didn't submit authority. So now there's like these news people and there's these protesters saying, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually the court said, yep, you know, he had, you know, basically the government violated his uh, First Amendment rights by trying to have him submit his transcripts. So he gets out of jail. He wins his court case. He gets out of jail. Everybody's happy. And that's like within the first five seconds of the film. And what's irritating about it is because if that is something that leaves you hanging, you really want to see that kind of progress a little bit. But within the first five seconds, like, oh, yeah, remember that thing we kind of left you hanging at the end of it? We're just going to wrap it up within the first five seconds. It's almost like in in the Hobbit series, the recent Hobbit series, where you see um, Smog be awakened and he's going and he's flying and he flies out into the village. And you're thinking, oh, man, that third movie Smog's going to be a big part of that movie. And then you watch the final uh, the final movie of the Hobbit series, and Smog's like killed within like the first like 15 minutes of the movie, and you're just like, what was the point of having this big draw? You introduced this big, powerful dragon just so you could kill him off right at the beginning of the movie. It doesn't make sense, and that's what they did in this film. It's like, no, why, why did you leave us hanging just so you could wrap it up within the first five seconds, five minutes of this movie? It, it's, it's frustrating. So now you have this whole different story. So you have that. So now they kind of cut off that. So I'm like, okay, now where are we going? So now it's about how you have this church that's on campus, and apparently some students don't like this church on campus because, well, we're a, we're a, we're a state funded school why do we have a church on our property so then so you have that so students and then of course you see a romans town so basically the board of trustees are thinking well we should basically get rid of this church so then you can so that's basically the story which is not really a good interesting story it would make an interesting story if it was like hey we're going to kind of get into the legality of it because they do talk about the legal and what the legality of it. But at the same time, they just kind of say stuff real quickly and then you're kind of seeing the movie going. So you really don't understand. So I'm like, understand. I'm like, okay, I don't understand how if something that's been there before the college was even founded and now you have a college that's founded and now it's part and at least at one point it was you know, a religious school, and now it's not. So now it's like, oh, well, now we have this building that's been here for many years that's part of campus history. But now, you know, it, that whole story arc just did not make sense to me and from a from a logical perspective. From a movie perspective, they did good at, like, kind of saying, okay, we're going to keep this driving force going. But it just didn't make sense. And then it didn't make sense that there were certain things that happened in the movie that was very, like, I guess it could happen, but the likelihood is just very vague. Um, and then, of course, you started to see more of these Christian cliches being thrown around, which that bothers me because I feel like you can 
have a Christian cliche if you add depth to it. And there were some points where they did add some depth to those films, which was absolutely great, and I thought that was kind of a good selling point to the movie. But at the same time, there was a lot of stuff that rubbed me the wrong way. And there's there's a part of me that the dynamic between the two brothers, between uh, David A.R. White and John Colbert, even though that's the most entertaining parts of the film, it just seemed like John Colbert, who's a very great actor, he just kind of played the same kind of kept playing the same actions over and over again on everything. And it didn't really make sense. And even in that aspect, you really didn't see closure to his character. And that was kind of the hard part. You didn't really see a lot of closure to some of these characters. I mean, you've seen some closure with like the college, with some of the college students, like the main two college students that there's, that story arc was facing because there's like one little story arc that's connected to the big story. Um, but yeah, there was just a lot of things that just didn't, that just didn't fit well and things came off. And then there's also, since you had a lot of other, uh, characters in place, there's also some, not, not some, so not, not great acting. Um, so it kind of ruins the experience because you can see like, oh, this is a great experience. Oh, I'm really enjoying this. I'm really getting it. And then you can have another person come in and completely ruin the scene because they're just underacting or overacting. And it's just not – it's just not relatable. They just weren't relatable. Certain characters weren't relatable. And I felt like they kind of ruined the story. Um, so overall, God's Not Dead, Light and Darkness um, – This is a hard one, folks, because there was some good ones, but, you know, when you have something in a series, you're kind of like, okay, how can you build upon the series? So first one, eh, second one, eh, third one, eh, third one, is. do I think the third one's better than the first one? Yes. Is it better than the second one? No. Um... So I'm going to have to give God's Not Dead a light and a darkness two out of five. Again, maybe three, maybe two and a half because you know I'm, de I'm debating between three and two. But really, I'm, I'm giving it a two because there was a lot of stuff in that movie that really kind of ruined the film for me. Even though there was a lot of good teaching moments and a lot of good spiritual moments, it was, it was not great. Um Especially not as great as the second one, which I think is the stronger one in the series. Um, are they going to make another one? I don't know because it kind of seems like after the third one, they kind of wrapped everything up. So maybe, just maybe, this will be the end. But I will guarantee you the one selling point, and maybe I might change my rating based off this point. Because <laughs> in the first one, you have the newsboys and they sing their God's Not Dead song. Okay, cool. And then in the second film, guess what? They're singing the God's Not Dead song. Like on in the movie. And I'm like, ugh. So then as I'm watching the opening credits, I see the newsboys are gonna be in here. I'm like, oh no. I don't wanna hear another like concert of them playing and them singing God's Not Dead because the song's old and I really don't want to hear the song anymore. Um <laughs> I know that sounds bad, I'm do apologize. And luckily, they did have a little scene in there. And again, it was like one of those like short, like like maybe 60-second scenes they were in there. 
And even though you still heard the song, God's Not Dead, but it was at the closing credits, but you didn't see them kind of singing. You didn't see them. Everybody, pull out your phone right now and text everyone you know that God's not dead. Like, they did that in the second one. I'm like, oh my goodness, is my phone going to blow up again? They didn't really do that. Even though you kind of see something about that movie, um, I think that it was pretty good. So again, um, so again, I was glad that they didn't have to... I had to sit through the actual movie. It was during the credit, so I could have just got up and walked out and didn't have to listen to the whole song. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, God's Not Dead, Light and Darkness, two out of five stars. All right. So, if you agree with me, i like to hear your comments. If you disagree with me, i like to hear those as well. What did you think? Did you guys see any of these movies in the month of March? Uh, let me know in the comments below. Um, you know, you can email me. Um, you can go to my website, thescottstedman.com, and have a conversation there. And again, I will. I, luckily, I'm recording this too, so this will also be on the podcast. Um, so if you want to see the live video, if you're listening to the podcast, you can just go to uh, Facebook. Uh, just do a search for the Scott Stedman podcast, and then you can watch the video live and and see me move my hands around and talk about things and drink get wash moisten my palate and everything else all right guys thank you so much for being fans of the show thank you so much for watching hopefully this was a lot better experience i'll check the live footage hopefully this is better hopefully i got the bugs uh, knocked out so that i can do more live videos let me know if you like doing the live video things i think it's great because then that way if you guys happen to watch when i'm recording i can kind of see what you're writing and i can kind of respond to uh, some of the stuff that you're doing all right guys thank you so much. Uh, take care. Hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. the show already i've been trying to do more of a live stream of my podcast it just haven't seemed to work um i think i got all the bugs fixed so we're going to try and see how well this works um but anyway i'm going to do something a little special today um what